is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. We are at um, a place in Acts where we've seen uh, Jesus leaving in Acts chapter 1, ascending into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the early church. And throughout those ensuing chapters, we have watched as the church grew. Uh, grew through great success, grew even through some tough times, some tough times that came from internal struggles but also external persecution. And uh, we, we took in for the last couple of chapters, we looked away for a moment from uh, Peter and John and some of those other disciples and we saw the conversion of a, a young man named Saul who had uh, been persecuting the early Christians and arresting them and who was there at the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and fully approved of it. And we're going to end up looking at most of the book of Acts. The rest of it, or much of it, is focused on that man Saul who became Paul and what God did through him in his missionary journeys. But we, we've kind of moved back for just a moment to focus again on Peter. And God is about to do something amazing through Peter. And so uh, we're going to see today, and uh, really this is kind of the first of, of, of three weeks of looking at this uh, passage. Because it's a long passage, all of chapter 10 and then even to chapter 11. Basically this story of the conversion of Cornelius. But today we'll just look at the first part of that, Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 23. I want to ask if you would please stand with me now. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives nearby the seashore. And as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of the personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. 
Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? And they said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So here was Peter. It was about midday, a normal day, just like any other day. He happened to be staying with a guy uh, also named Simon, who was a tanner, a leather worker by trade. And he had been uh, apparently going around in different places. We saw that back in chapter 9, just kind of going and staying a few days in different places, strengthening the churches and the new Christians and believers. And And here he was with Simon the Tanner uh, by the seashore, as tanners often were in that day. Because they could, um, the smell and and the work they did, they needed to be by the water. And so he was there. And he was um, not doing anything especially spiritual. In fact, the only thing the Bible tells us about him is he was hungry. He was ready for lunch. He was ready for something good to eat. And he went up on the rooftop, and while he was waiting, he was hanging out there on the rooftop. I don't know if he's working on his tan or what he was doing, but he was waiting for this meal to be ready. And the Bible says that he fell into a trance. And he saw this vision. Now, how, how often, he sees it, by the way, he sees in this vision this sheet coming down with all sorts of animals. Now, how many of you have gotten really hungry and you have dreamt about a Big Mac or a Whopper or some kind of juicy food? I mean, well, here he is. He's hungry, and he goes into this trance, and he sees all these animals come down, let down in a sheet. And this would have been the the, the solution to his problems, except for some of these animals are clean, but some are unclean. That is, the Old Testament Jews had a wide variety of of animals that were off the list, off the menu. They could see them, they could appreciate them, that's a good animal, but they could not eat these things. They had a very restricted diet, only certain things that they could eat. But there's all sorts of animals, both clean and unclean, and he hears a voice, and we believe that it's the voice of Jesus because of the way that that Peter uh, calls him Lord. But he hears this voice, and it says, Peter, take, kill, and eat. And uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, very succinct, very, very brief and blunt. Kill and eat, Peter. And uh, Peter doesn't have a problem. He's no vegetarian. He doesn't have a problem with killing and eating. But he says, Lord, these are some unclean animals. I've never eaten any of this kind of stuff in my life. I don't do that. I'm a good Jew, you know. And God speaks back to him. The voice of Jesus says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. 
So he is rebuked. And the Bible says that this vision is repeated a total of three times. And then the sheet containing these animals goes back up to heaven. And Peter is sitting here trying to figure out what to make of this vision. Now, Peter's a lot like uh, a lot of us. I'll say he's a lot like me. He doesn't always get things the first time, you know, especially when God's trying to tell him to do something. He's kind of slow sometimes. I mean, remember, he was the one that, that bragged that he'd never deny Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what, you're, you're going to deny me three times, not just once. And he ends up denying him three times. And then after the Lord's resurrection, when they're having that meeting together on the shore, Jesus asked him that question, do you love me, Peter? And he repeats it three times. And, and Peter is just one of those kind. It takes him a while to get some things in his head, right? So he gets this vision three times of, of eating these animals, these forbidden animals. Now, what's Peter thinking at this point? I know what I'd be thinking. Bacon. I can finally eat bacon, you know. Now, Peter might have been more spiritual than that. I don't know, but... You know, that's a pretty big deal to me. I mean, uh, I've heard, I've heard uh, folks describe, you know, there's different ways to divide religions, and one of them is bacon and no bacon. You know, there's whole religions are divided by that, what you can eat. Well, it was a lot more than bacon and pork. There was all sorts of things they couldn't eat. But he's trying to figure this out. What's, what's going on here? What's, what's with this? Well, little does he know that God has sent an angel to appear to a man named Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius was a Roman centurion, meaning he would have had between 80 and 100 men under him. And the Bible tells us that he was well respected uh, by the Jews. He was a, a God-fearing man. Now, here's where we have to kind of go back and dig a little bit into what that meant in that day. Because if I was to say to you today, Tyler Marsh is a God-fearing man. Well, then you would say, well, wow, that, he, that means he loves Jesus. And uh, has anyone ever called you that before, Tyler? Maybe. Maybe, okay. Well, I'll say it. You're a God-fearing man. All right. So, um, you know, that would basically mean, okay, they're a good Christian. So they, they love Jesus. They pray, that kind of thing. But a God-fearing man, when it was talking about especially a Gentile, it had a different meaning. You see, in that day, Jews, uh, the Jews of that century were actually fairly aggressively evangelistic. There was a, a portion of them that were going out and telling people about Jehovah God and that they needed to know this one God. You know, they were telling these these Gentiles, the Greeks and the Romans, that they were, they were saying, forget all these fake made-up gods that you've got. There's one true God in heaven. And there was a lot of people that listened to that message, and they saw all the, the immorality in the world around them, and, and they believed in this message. But here's the thing. For those Jews, basically what they thought about you know, being saved, being, being right with God, uh, their message was get right with God, become a Jew. Uh, in other words, if you really want to love God, you've got to become a Jew. Now, there were some pretty steep requirements, including circumcision for all of these adult males in the household. And so there were a lot of folks, there were some that went, they were full proselytized, they became actual Jews. But there was a lot of families who said, well, 
we're not going to go quite all the way and become full-on Jews and, and go through all those requirements. But we do believe in this God. We believe he's the one true God. And we're going to pray to him and we're going to try to, to follow what he says to do to the best of our ability without actually becoming Jews. And those people right there, they were called God-fearers. That was the name for those folks. So a God-fearing man was someone who believed in the God of the Jews but had not gone all the way and become a Jew. And so he hears this, uh, uh, this angel comes to him in a vision. And he's terrified in this vision. Uh, by the way, that's kind of most people in the, in the Bible. If they realize that they're talking to an angel, that is their reaction. A lot of times we think we'd be like, oh, an angel, what's up? You know, that's, that's not the way it works in the Bible. Uh, people see angels and their brilliance and they're like, whoa. And so he sees this message and the messenger of God says, God has seen your, heard your prayers. He's seen the good works that you've done in his name. And, and he's, he wants you to hear a message. And so you need to send for this man named Simon Peter. So basically, here he was. They were both on the coast of the Mediterranean. Joppa was down here. Caesarea was up here. There was about 30 miles difference in between those two cities. And so he gathers up a couple of his personal household assistants. And then he gathers up one of his trusted soldiers. And he sends these men down. To Joppa, down the coast of the Mediterranean. And it just so happens that they arrive at the gate. And right when they arrive at the gate, the Lord is telling, speaking to Peter through the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And by the way, this is very interesting in this story because you have an angel speaking to Cornelius uh, in a vision, you have Jesus speaking. Uh, to Peter in a vision, then you have the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter after the vision and telling him, these men are here, they're with me, they're okay, you need to go with them. And so they call out at the gate and say, is Simon Peter here? We want to meet him. And they let him in and they, they explain their story. They explain, hey, our master, Cornelius, he sent us to go get you. And Simon Peter welcomes them in, and they eat together. They spend the night, and they head out the next day to go back to Caesarea, where Peter is going to speak with him and, and explain to him the gospel. What do we learn from this story? We learn that God can speak to us, and he can work in whatever way he wants to. We far too often put God in a box. We far too often say, God's going to speak to me only in one certain way that I expect and that I'm comfortable with. And so we miss it when he speaks to us in other ways. But our God is big and he can do whatever he wants. We also learned that change is not easy for any of us. We're a God, we serve a God who does new things. And he, the, the, the greatest and the newest thing he ever did was through sending Jesus Christ, his son, who not only paid the penalty for us on the cross, but he also fulfilled the Old Testament law. 
here we are in the book of Acts. We're actually several years after the resurrection at this point. But they are still kind of thinking through and trying to understand the implications of what being a Christian is, of what Jesus' death on the cross means. This is big time stuff because this is the first passage that we really get the idea that, you know what? You can come to Jesus and be a Christian without having to be a Jew first. Now, that's probably not something none of us have ever worried about. None of us have ever asked, well, do I need to go down to the synagogue and, and register down there and, and become a Jew before I really become a Christian? But that was a big question for them at this point because everybody else that we'd seen had been some sort of a Jew, whether they were born a Jew or they had become a proselyte and already you know, had, had moved to Judaism. This is the place where people understand you can come to Jesus without being a Jew first. You can come to him and be accepted no matter who you are or where you're from. We all have things to learn. Even the Apostle Peter, we see in the book of Acts, still had things to learn and ways he had to grow. And we also learn that none of us can do it on our own. This Christian life that we're a part of is something that we do together as a group. You read about in this passage, Cornelius, not only Cornelius, but his whole household and the faith they had. And you see the group of some family members and even members of his regiment coming down. And there you see uh, Peter. He's staying with another believer, Simon the Tanner. And the Bible tells us when he goes back, when he goes back with these men up to Caesarea, he doesn't go by himself. The Bible says that several other believers went with him. Sometimes we see the early apostles as lone rangers, as men and women, as people who were so great in their ability and in their Christian faith that they didn't need anybody else. They could just kind of stand alone and walk on their own. But that's actually not the picture that we get from the Bible, from Scripture. Even one such as the Apostle Peter, one of the original 12, when he goes off to do something new, he does not do so as a lone ranger, but he is accompanied by several other believers as he goes back to Caesarea. And we're reminded that the Christian life we live is not a solitary life, but it's a life of Christian community. We do our best work in doing work for the Lord and in blessing other people when we're surrounded by other believers. We're going to see some interesting things as well as we continue this story of Cornelius in the future. I want to ask you to bow with me at this time in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, I pray that we would realize that you have the right and the power to interrupt us anytime you want because our plans are nothing compared to your plans. Your plans are greater and they are higher. And Father, we can become so caught up in our own plans that we can miss when you come to us. We can overlook your speaking to us. I pray that we wouldn't do that. God, I pray that you would help us to be open and ready 
for whatever you have for us, whatever is in store. God, I pray that you would help us to see that other people can come to you. They don't have to be just exactly like us. They don't have to do everything we do. They simply have to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of sins and turning to him. Father, may we be like Paul, who said, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. In other words, Lord, help us to not put up barriers to people coming to you, but to accept that all people are invited into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we have this uh, time of invitation now, God, may we respond to you as you speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.